This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is now a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each episode I interview authors about their latest works and others in the book world about their roles, what those roles entail, and the books they love. I apologize for my abrupt break in podcast episodes beginning September 1st, but my mom unexpectedly passed away. I appreciate everyone who checked in with me. It really cheered me up during a very sad time. For the next two weeks, I will be catching up and posting a bunch of episodes, so the schedule may be a little less structured than normal. Thanks for hanging in with me. Today, I am interviewing Stephanie Marie Thornton about her latest book, A Most Clever Girl. Stephanie is a writer and a history teacher who has been obsessed with women from history since she was 12. She lives with her husband and daughter in Alaska. I hope you enjoy our conversation. And now for a quick break. For the last year, I have been focusing more on my health and my eating habits. In connection with that, I have started drinking AG1 in the morning. I first gave AG1 a try because I needed more energy. Since drinking AG1 daily, I have definitely felt more energized. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. I know with AG1, I'm giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know it is safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrient density. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and I am really happy to have them sponsoring my show. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash thoughts from a page. That's drinkag1.com slash thoughts from a page. Check it out. Welcome, Stephanie. How are you today? I'm doing great, Cindy. Uh, thanks so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here. I really enjoyed A Most Clever Girl, and I can't wait to talk about it. Well, I am excited to chat about all things Spycraft and Elizabeth Bentley. I'm always completely fascinated with spy stories, which is what drew me to your book in the first place. So I can't wait to learn more. So why don't we start out with you telling me a little bit about the book? Great. So Elizabeth Bentley uh, is the heroine of uh, A Most Clever Girl, and she was a nice Connecticut girl uh, when World War II broke out, and she ended up spying on America for Russia until everything unraveled with our alliance uh, with Russia at the end of World War II. And then she turned her coat, went to the FBI and informed on her entire spy network that she had built up uh, here in America and essentially ended the golden age of Soviet espionage here in the U.S. And I couldn't believe I had never heard of her before. And I also was shocked. Um, I stumbled across her story two years ago. I'm a history teacher. I've taught U.S. history. This will be the 17th year. And when I found her name, I thought, where in the world has this woman's story been? And what an exciting life, spying for one group and then turning around and spying for the other and just all of it. I thought, I just can't even imagine. Completely fascinating. Yeah, her life was crazy. And just the fact that she was willing to inform, you know, that would be like somebody today going against the KGB. Like, who, who does that? <laughs> I agree completely. It would be so frightening. Well, how did you learn about her in the first place? Elizabeth Bentley's story came to me in a Google search, which is definitely different from all of my other six novels. I had just finished writing, and they called it Camelot by Jackie, or about Jackie Kennedy. And I was looking for another 20th century American who would make a great focus for a book. And I thought, well, I'd love to write something about the Cold War. And then 
Cold War to me, I think all sorts of, you know, like spy stories. And I thought maybe there's a, a female spy whose story hasn't been told. So I did some digging and I think I found her Wikipedia page first. And as I finished reading, I thought, oh my gosh, surely someone has written a novel about this woman. And in fact, no one had. So uh, I took it upon myself to do so. Well, I'm so glad you did. And it's such an interesting format. Can you talk a little bit about how you decided on your format? Yeah, absolutely. Elizabeth Bentley is a a little bit of a prickly character. I think that that's potentially why nobody has written her uh, story before. So when she's on the stand, we have you know the the transcripts from when she did testimony in front of the Senate after she had gone to the FBI, and she's generally telling the truth. And actually, people discounted her a lot at the time. But the FBI knew she was telling the truth because they had done this top secret project called Project Venona that wasn't actually declassified until 1995. And they they couldn't let out any of the information from that, but they had actually decoded a number of Soviet cables that corroborated what she was saying. And she ended up (laughs) feeling a lot of pressure that she had to perform. So sometimes she elaborated when she was on the stand and... I needed somebody who could call her on that. So the story is mostly Elizabeth recounting her life, first person. But then uh, Kat is the other character who came about because I needed someone who could say, wait, 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 Elizabeth, but that's not actually how that happened. And to kind of call her on that. So that's, that's how the format came about. I really liked the format. I thought it made the story a little more mysterious and you're always wondering what was going to be around the corner. Well, that was my hope. So I'm glad that worked. (laughs) What about your research? I imagine it must have been absolutely fascinating. It was. So there are a couple of nonfiction biographies on Elizabeth Bentley. So that was where I started. Um, The part that was actually most fun for me was the ancillary research. I would make a terrible, terrible spy, just putting that out there. And so figuring out how people actually become spies was really intriguing. I actually got to listen to a former CIA agent talk about how people do this. He had been a handler himself. So that was really intriguing. And then the spy gadgetry uh, is just fascinating. You know, like the tiny cameras that Elizabeth Bentley gave out to some of her spies because she too was a handler and all of the other gadgets and things. It was, it was like the next best thing to being a spy, but without all of the danger. And uh, that, that worked out perfectly for me. And the stress, right? I, my husband always laughs. I'm like, it'd be so fun to be a spy, but like I wouldn't make it a day because I'd be way too stressed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> did you go to the spy museum in DC? Oh, I absolutely did. I'd actually been there once before. And then when I started this, um, I knew I had to get back. And so fortunately, I was able to do that all pre-COVID. And it was just uh, rather serendipitous because one of the characters in the book is involved with The assassination of Leon Trotsky, um, who actually had kind of competed with Stalin to take over um, after Lenin passed away. And the Spy Museum had this huge museum exhibit on Lenin's assassination at the hands of these uh, Soviet spies as I was writing that scene. So I went back to my hotel room all a flutter and it was fantastic. Oh, that's very cool. What are the odds? Yeah. (laughs) Well, what surprised you the most about writing this book? Oh, that's a great question. I think the thing that stuck out to me the most was that, you know, Elizabeth Bentley, as I mentioned, was this young woman from Connecticut. From her writings, it seems to me like she considered herself a true patriot. But most Americans who look at the story of a woman who ended up spying for a different country 
would say, well, that's the opposite of patriotism. Uh, so just what struck me the most was during this incredibly stressful time, both World War II and then the Cold War, you had this dichotomy of people who, you know, oh, well, I'm doing what I think is best. I think I, or I'm doing what I think is best for the country. And nobody would have said, well, yeah, what I'm doing is wrong. They, they wanted America to come out on top and just had very different ways of going about that. And my thought as I was reading was that it mirrors our society a little bit today. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, I would say, are fairly split uh, politically these days. But I think if you sat down and talked to anyone on either side of the aisle, they would say, well, my beliefs are what's best for America and what I'm doing is best for America. So yeah, it <laughs> history repeats itself. It really does. And I just thought that several times as I was reading and I thought it is funny how those things sort of cycle back. Absolutely. Well, how about the title and the cover? Oh, I love the cover. Uh, I think I actually squealed out loud uh, when it came to me. And then the title, A Most Clever Girl, comes, um, it's a play off of Elizabeth's codename. So she was called Umnitsa in some of the cables, uh, which translates in Russian to um, clever girl. So she is the, the most clever girl. I love the cover too. And I remember when the cover reveal happened and that's what first caught my eye. I was like, what a fabulous cover. Absolutely. And the, the little notebook details, it's hard to see that on a screen, but like it, it's just perfect for a spy story. I thought they did a great job. I think Berkeley always does a very nice job. I would agree. What about favorite of the books you have written? I loved your last book as well. In fact, I think that was the first time I had read one of your books and it was so good. And then I really enjoyed this one. What about you as you look back on everything you've written? Ooh, is it weird, I guess, to maybe say that each book is kind of like a kid? <laughs> I only have one kid, so I'm kind of extrapolating here. But I feel like I love something different about all of them because they're all unique. And they called it Camelot about Jackie Kennedy. I'm extremely proud of that book because it was a huge challenge to take on her story. Uh, and the amount of research and the time that went into writing that one, that one definitely stands out. My one before that, uh, American Princess, was just an absolute hoot to write because it's about Alice Roosevelt, who was Theodore Roosevelt's firecracker daughter. And uh, she lived to be into her 90s and knew everyone in D.C. And she just said the, all the things that people might think, but filter because it's not acceptable to say those things. And she had no problem just calling people out. So that was, that was I don't know, getting to, to channel some of that <laughs> energy, those things that you want to say that you just can't really say. So yeah, they, they've all just been really fun adventures. I, I like to say that writing historical fiction is the closest I can get to a time machine. So each book takes me somewhere different. Well, and authors will frequently say that each book reminds them of a time period in their life as well. You know, if maybe you're writing it when you're having your child or your child is young or you've traveled somewhere you really enjoyed, whatever it is, that each book kind of calls to mind a different time in life. Absolutely. And especially just loving history, it, it lets me kind of pop around and, you know, live, not live life, but experience things as if I was a character there at the time. So I, that's also why I love reading, right? It transports us. Absolutely. And that's been such a savior in the last year and a half. Oh, yes. <laughs> 100%. Well, I learned so much about Jackie Kennedy that I didn't know from your book, and I've read a decent amount about her. And I just, you know, you just feel for her, like her life with Jack Kennedy was just not all that much fun. 
And she is held up as this icon who, you know, by all accounts until November 22nd, 1963, had this fairy tale life. And when I started researching, I thought, oh my gosh, no, there's so much more to this woman and her strength because she did undergo so many tragedies, but through it all, she, she kept going and yeah, became this legend. And was able to do so many different things. I think that's one of the things that draws me to her. Oh, I loved that her story came full circle. Some readers have asked, well, why did you start or end the book where you did? And, you know, the book actually ends when she's an editor. She actually worked for a couple different publishing houses um, in New York. And that was that was just Jackie. She wasn't the president's wife. She wasn't Onassis's wife. She wasn't the mom of these two wonderful kids. She was all of those things and a whole lot more, the savior of Grand Central Station and all of that. But she was just doing what she wanted to do. And there was a great line about her coming in and, you know, pouring her coffee into the same styrofoam cup as everybody else had to use and all of that. And that was just great because she she did sacrifice so much for her family, her husbands, and the country. And then she was able to just do something she absolutely loved. I always think about what it would have been like for those authors to hear who their editor is. And they're like, well, you're assigned to Jackie Kennedy or Jackie Onassis, I guess, by then. And can you just even imagine what that would have felt like for them? Oh, my gosh. I I don't even know. (laughs) That would have been, yeah, just gobsmacked. It would be the best word to describe my reaction if that had happened. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It would just be so wild. Well, so we talked a little bit about Alice Roosevelt, but is that your favorite character you've written or is there another character that comes to mind as someone you just really enjoyed writing? Oh, every book has a character who I just really loved to write. Um, sometimes they come out of the woodwork and I'm like, oh, I didn't know that you you were going to be this character. All right. But as far as my all-time favorite, yeah, Alice Roosevelt was just absolutely hilarious to write. And the research in that was fun because a lot of those zingers that I included in the book came straight from her own lips. So, Well, it sounds like I need to track that book down and read it. She, she was, you know, they called her the other Washington monument because she was such a fixture in DC society. And yeah, anyone who hung out with everyone from Theodore Roosevelt to the Kennedys is pretty great in my book. And I know a little bit about her, but not a ton. So now this is definitely making me want to add that to my list. She, she's quite the character. If I had, you know, there's that perennial question of who would you invite to a dinner? She would be at the top of my list just because I would be wildly entertained the entire dinner. Who else would you include? Oh, um, so I do love Theodore Roosevelt. Um, I don't know how many people I get at this dinner table, but... However many you'd like. Oh, my goodness. Two hours later, you'll still be naming people. <laughs> as you said, I was like, okay, I'm envisioning like the dinner table at Downton Abbey, the really big one. <laughs> <laughs> So Pharaoh Hatshepsut uh, is somebody who I also wrote a book about who very few people know. Um, she was actually the, the vehicle into my writing historical fiction because I've been fascinated with her since I had to write a paper on her in seventh grade. So she was Egypt's first successful female pharaoh. And then there was a, a campaign undertaken to destroy her memory from the historical record. But fortunately, that didn't succeed. So she would be at my dinner table. I have been on a major Jane Austen kick lately, revisiting, because I've always loved Jane Austen. So I think I would put her at my dinner table, too. Yeah. She would definitely be at my dinner table. She's one of my all-time favorites. Yeah. There are classics. They're such wonderful stories. Do you have a favorite of her books? You know, I love Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Persuasion is great. Emma, I, my daughter is now 14. 
So part of this resurgence is we've been watching all of the movies together and she's quite the reader too. So I've been kind of nudging some of the volumes her way. She hasn't picked any of them up yet, but they're just all wonderful. They are. Pride and Prejudice and Persuasion are my favorite. And actually my daughter and I, she's a little bit older, she's 18, but we did that. She had to read Pride and Prejudice for school. And so then I was like, we should watch some of these movies. And so we ended up making our way through a number of them during COVID. It was really fun. Yes, we just rewatched. She had watched it before, but it was a couple years ago. So I think she had forgotten some of the pieces. But the the sixth hour Colin Firth version of Pride and Prejudice is my gold standard. So we just finished that one. Ours too. And so we watched it and then we watched the Kira Knightley one, which I'm not nearly as big a fan of. And so it was fun to kind of compare and contrast them, watching them close in time together. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what about what you're working on now? I know you're in the process of getting a most clever girl out into the world, but most of the time it seems like authors have another project they're working on. Right now I'm kind of tooling around with a new story, which will be, it's actually a bit of a time shift, but one that I am thoroughly enjoying researching into the 18th and 19th centuries. So it will also be a split narrative between a mother and a daughter. Um, So there's a little bit of French Revolution in there and some Regency period. You know, Bridgerton came out and uh, (laughs) suddenly the Regency period is also experiencing a resurgence. So I, I really like the opportunity with my books to kind of flit from time period to time period, different countries. It's it's just such a, a great gig. And you seem like you always take real people and put them into your stories. Is that what you're doing again? Yes, that's the plan. I I just really, I don't want to say it's a mission, but I feel like there are so many women's stories who have either been completely forgotten or almost completely forgotten. Or like in the case of Jackie Kennedy, that we we think we know the story, but when you scrape past the surface, you discover that there are a whole lot of hidden depths. So that's pretty much always my vision when I sit down to write a book is how can I breathe life into uh, this woman or these women's stories? I love that. And I think a number of historical fiction authors seem to be doing that now. And it's just wonderful because I'm learning about so many women that I most of the time never even heard of. Or if I have heard of them, like Jackie Kennedy, I'm learning a lot more about them or learning what really happened versus what we think happened. Absolutely. I I kind of wish that I could, I don't know, rewind or fast forward, but I remember wandering through the stacks at Barnes & Noble when I was like a senior in high school looking for books, uh, historical fiction, and there there just weren't that many. Um, this was the time of like, you know, The Red Tent was coming out and Memoirs of a Geisha, and those were two of my favorites. But I actually ended up having to go into the romance section a lot for, you know, like, the Scottish Highlands or the Regency period. And that was that was all there was. Whereas now I go into Barnes and Noble and it's like, my husband has to restrain me. Like, please don't walk out of here with 30 books because <laughs> we just can't do that. And when would you get them all read, right? <laughs> oh gosh, my, my TBR stack is, yeah, ridiculous. <laughs> I just think it's so funny when authors say that, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, they were trying to sell their historical fiction and they were being told, nobody really wants to read these stories. And now you look and obviously so many people want to read these stories. Yeah, I I like to credit Henry VIII. I feel like the Tudors were really what hooked a lot of people like with the other Boleyn girl. And suddenly I was like, oh, wow, there's some really amazing, I mean, that one's almost soap opera-y, but true kind of stories. And from there, it just exploded. Thankfully. Yes. 
Well, what about what you've read recently that you really liked talking about exploding TBRs? Um, so I have just been enjoying some really amazing books. Sometimes, you know, we go through book droughts, but I, I've just gotten some great ones this summer. So I was on vacation. Well, I would say vacation, but we were repairing a condo in Hawaii and just finished up The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. And I had read Circe when it first came out and I bought The Song of Achilles but it sat on my shelf and I have no idea why. And so just randomly, I needed a book for the trip and I grabbed that one. And all of the praises that everyone has sung about it were absolutely right on target. Absolutely fantastic. I don't even like Achilles. I have to teach the Iliad. <laughs> but I was like, wow, this is great. And then uh, for a little bit lighter fare, um, I just finished a couple days ago, The People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Henry. And that one was just lovely. It's it's not a, a I wasn't reading it on the beach, but it would be the perfect beach read. And then the last one, I'm actually listening to it as an audiobook with my family. So we're only partway through. Uh, but Stephen Rowley's The Gunkle um, is just everything. It's all the feels. So there are moments when I get teary-eyed and then moments when the entire carload of us were all laughing out loud. So those are all three great ones. I loved The Gunkle. I love Patrick and just everything he does with his niece and nephew. That is such a wonderful story. Yeah. And the audiobook, I don't do a ton of audiobooks, but this summer we had a number of road trips. So I thought, okay, well, we'll go ahead and do this. And Stephen Rowley, the author, reads it and he it's pitch perfect. So love it. Well, and I was thinking about his book, The Editor, when we were talking earlier about Jackie Kennedy when she worked at Doubleday, because he writes about that in that book. Yes, he does. Yes. Well, and Song of Achilles has had an interesting resurgence because of TikTok. I read about that. Yeah, which is just mind-blowing. I'm not on TikTok. I'm, I'm not cool enough, although my daughter keeps nudging me. So uh, I'm not saying never. But I, I'm all about anything that brings books back into the spotlight or shines a spotlight on books that maybe didn't quite get it the first time around. Whatever gets people reading makes me happy. I agree completely. And I'm not on TikTok either, but I just keep reading about it and you know what a resurgence that book has had. And I think that's so cool. Yeah. Uh, when I was in Barnes & Noble last week, actually, they have a, a book talk table now from TikTok. So all of the, the books that are going viral because of TikTok. Yeah, I was going to say, that's very neat. I love it. So it's kind of like all the celebrity book clubs too. You know, It's just nice to see books are being highlighted a variety of different places these days. Yes. The fact that reading is cool again. Exactly. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining me in the Thoughts from a Page podcast today. It was wonderful to speak with you about A Most Clever Girl. Well, thank you so much for having me, Cindy. This was a lot of fun. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please consider joining my Patreon as a page turner. Follow me on Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed today can be purchased at the Conversations from a Page bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks to Maggie Garza for sponsoring this episode, and I hope you'll tune in next time.
You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.